What's up, everybody? It's Brooke Saborin, a.k.a. Your Girl Middle Child Lives. I am your host, and today I bring you Cora. Cora is a self-proclaimed fanfic extraordinaire, here to shed some wisdom and insight on you about the fanfiction industry. And without giving you too much info, I'm just going to let them tell you what it's all about. Here's Cora. <laughs> Cora, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I am very honored that you would ask me as a guest, so thank you. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, how could I not? You are just a ray of sunshine with all... (laughs) I mean, I know it's a podcast, so the listeners don't know if they have never watched your YouTube or follow you in any way, but you're so colorful you know you just like pop out i'm very much a fan of like kawaii harajuku fashion which has very much like spread all over the world in part to like due to some kawaii ambassadors in japan itself um and yeah it's it's very interesting it's very nice to see that there are like these ways in which one can like express themselves that you know can be a bit more like rainbow or colorful or over the top if you so feel like it so yeah that's what i like to do that's what makes me happy and i'm glad it makes other people happy too (laughs) no and actually i have always loved like the harajuku kawaii style my Mm. friend and i when we were younger we didn't have jobs or like money or anything. We were in middle school, but we were just obsessed. We would always send each other uh, links to uh, like the the adorable baby doll dresses and like some of the mm. hats and stuff. Oh, we were obsessed and I still love it. But oh my gosh, if I had the money back then, <laughs> I'd probably still be into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It, it can be one of those things where like, you know, depending on how you do it or what you have access to, it can be affordable. It can be pricey. I know for me, I tend mm-hmm. to take a bit more of a pricey route because I'm like, yeah, I want to dress this way, but I also want to only support um, brands that are like ethical and sustainable. And, mm-hmm. you know, while I feel better about supporting them, it's like, because they're asking for a fair price, it is going to be a bit more pricey. So yeah, mm-hmm. I totally get how it isn't the most accessible thing in the world. <laughs> so sometimes in order to like dress this way, you've got to, you know, you've got to really love it. You've kind of got to know where to mm-hmm. look. You've, um, yeah, it it's a lot. But yeah, the fact that, um, you know, people are able to appreciate it and the fact that you know you clearly have you know this pre-existing like knowledge and interest in it like that's really cool yeah i i love it and we will get way more into that i hope later but um why don't you start off by telling our audience a little bit about yourself and about your youtube channel so i am a 23 year old australian with a passion for sustainable fashion and a youtube channel where my goal is to teach people how to write and post their dream fan fiction i cover topics like how to write summaries which are like the fan fiction version of a book blurb uh author's notes ship dynamics and other things related to fan fiction so think of me as like any other author tuber, like say um, Jenna Moresi or Reedsy or something, but 
um, instead of for original fiction, it's for fan fiction. I love it. Um, and I am so excited to deep, uh, dive a little bit deeper into that stuff. But mm -hmm. I actually have created a game to play with you before we get started. Mm -hmm. All right. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, so I did create this game in honor of your sustainable fashion vlog. So <laughs> it's kind of like a fashion game. So I'll just explain it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I want you to tell me what article of clothing each of these fictional characters are, but it can't be something that they're already known for wearing. Okay. My first character for you is the Cheshire Cat. Oh, hmm. I think like a striped 70s jumpsuit um, oh. with like flared legs like something something quite like glam rock that's what i i love it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes you are killing the concept okay yes <laughs> thank okay, you okay my next character is barbie oh well she does she does wear a lot of things so that mm -hmm. one's a bit trickier to narrow down but one thing I don't think I've seen her wear a lot is like, you know, big fur coats. Um, like I'm sure she has oh. at some point, but you know, just like a big hot pink fur coat, maybe with like these uh, diamond buttons. I think that would be very Barbie. Yes, <laughs> I, I so agree. And I can imagine her walking her golden retriever in that yeah. coat. Yes, mm. I love it. Yeah. Okay, I, my next character is Nancy Drew. Ah, okay. So I've only watched like the Nancy Drew movie, but yeah, I do remember there was a bit of a subplot in that one where she was taken to this store to give her like an outfit makeover but she ended up like inspiring <laughs> the department store's fashion trends so i think she might be wearing something a bit more dark academia except she'd probably put some orange in there like some burnt orange if i'm like remembering what her outfit is like well enough so she'd probably wear like some pressed creased pants in like you know a nice brown color and then maybe like a turtleneck in like burnt brown and then like maybe a tan blazer or something yeah i love it yeah. i'm picturing like uh her getting into a cab and it's a paparazzi shot and it's very high fashion <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah yes. but hopefully the pants and the blazer give her good motion to run after uh the culprits as well yes run away the from them. <laughs> true nancy be smart yeah. <laughs> uh, okay my next one is bilbo baggins ah right so i haven't actually um watched much of the lord of the rings or the hobbit but you know oh. he is well we can is... skip this one if you want <laughs> i think i think no nah, i'm happy to go with it because i think i know enough okay. about him but i'm thinking about the fact that you know hobbit 
holes often mean comfort and all that and you know he was I remember watching like the first 40 minutes of the first Hobbit movie and he was like kind of reluctant to go on the adventure so I'm just imagining Mm -hmm. him in like a bathrobe like maybe one that has a lot of patches on it because he's like repaired it over the years yes yes (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love that you are so good at this game oh so glad (laughs) okay um my next one is Willy Wonka (laughs) oh that's that's a good one Honestly, I think it would be good to see Willy Wonka in some drag. I think he'd pull it off really oh. well. Like, um, some kind of sparkly dress worn under, like, you know, his usual uh, blazer. Maybe, like, the lining on the inside is, like, a perfect chocolate brown or something. Yes. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. You're killing it. Okay. My last one is not a fictional character, mm-hmm. but... It is you. Ah, okay. Hmm. Well, I'm kind of like going back to what are some of my favorite things in uh, my wardrobe and all that. And I know I'm someone who I feel like I'm torn between three different color schemes. So there's like bright rainbow and then pastel rainbow and then kind of like this thing that's like halfway (laughs) between those two different levels of vibrancy and I know I'm someone who's like very much into like one of my favorite things in fashion is like clothes that are made out of like other clothes so I feel like if there was ever going to be an item that fully embodied me it would as a person it would probably be something that's like somehow gets all three of those color schemes and like makes them work together and is also like made out of all these different fabric scraps like somehow it's also able to be very feminine but there's also like an androgynous aspect to it as well and you know it's like just imagine like a big over-the-top dress that's clearly like made from like a bunch of other clothes so you know there could be like a sleeve from like each sleeve could be from like two different tops for example there could be like a tiered skirt that has like all of these ruffles made of all sorts of like different kinds of fabric like even the color would be um something uh kind of like mismatch like one side of the collar was clearly made from a different shirt from the other (laughs) I'm definitely I know that for me like I love I love those kinds of clothes that are like you know that kind of like patchy aesthetic like it just things made out of other things I love that aesthetic so much yeah I I love that and yes my I had the mental image going of this outfit rolling out the whole time. It's beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. you. (laughs) Yeah, something like very maximalist, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) So let's get into the interview. So let's get into the interview. My first question for you is when and why did you start your YouTube channel? So I remember wanting to start a YouTube channel ever since I was in high school. Like I've um, grown up watching 
an obscene amount of YouTube. I've learned so much through it. I found a lot of role models through it. And, you know, I wanted to, I guess, be a part of that myself. So even though I'd wanted to do it for like a long time, I only started posting in mid 2019. Back then, my channel was intended as a companion to a blog I was running at the time, which was focused on approaching kawaii alternative Harajuku inspired fashion with a sustainable mindset. So on the channel, I'd create alternatives and anti-hauls, which are, you know, different ways of like doing your regular haul video, which would often like promote overconsumption of like fast fashion mm -hmm. and all that. I'd also um, vlog at events or I'd create these vlogs that show the process of putting together an outfit. And I would also um, do Q&As sometimes. Um, yeah, stuff like that. Nice. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I want to start where your channel began. Uh, how did you originally get into sustainable fashion and... How has that kind of led you to what you create today? Because now you're offering fan fiction advice. Yeah. So I remember when I first learned about a lot of the big problems within the fashion industry, like, you know, sweatshops and climate change and the like, I did react quite defensively, like internally. Like I wasn't like outwardly being... <laughs> You yeah. know, an asshole to anyone, but you know, kind of like inside, I was wrestling with that. But anyway, a big part of that was because sustainable fashion, as far as I could tell at the time, was still very minimalist or kind of like appealing to more, I guess, um, mainstream tastes in fashion, which there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with that, but it's, you know, just not me personally. And I thought that to engage with fashion in an ethical way, I'd have to sacrifice my very loud, colourful, personal style. Like, it basically felt like I'd have to sacrifice something that is a pretty big piece of me and all that. It wasn't until a year later when I finally began to realise that sustainable fashion was more than just shopping sustainable brands, but about consuming less, shopping secondhand, and taking special care of what you already own, or even making sure that the things you own that you don't really want to keep are removed from your life in a sustainable way. Like, for example, um, giving them away at, like, swap meets or... or um, maybe even repurposing them into something that you will use. So I ended up going through a renaissance at that point where I became more focused on refining my personal style rather than trying to wear like six different fashion styles because um, since my style was like, you know, still taking shape, it was still quite scattered. And as a result, I was like getting a lot of pieces into my wardrobe just because I liked them without necessarily thinking about how they fit the wardrobe ecosystem. So when I was like thinking about my personal style in the frame of sustainability, I was actually able to improve a lot in that regard. And so eventually I did discover some small brands that did fit my aesthetic and values. Like it was at that point where, you know, I fell in love with clothes that are clearly made out of other clothes or like dead stock fabric. Like I found one brand that did do that, did use like fabric scraps and old clothes and the like. And then I found 
another that actually uh, creates these beautiful dresses and two-piece sets out of damaged vintage kimono fabric. So Ooh. yeah, and they're absolutely gorgeous. So oh my gosh. Um, yeah yeah and that's yes why, <laughs> that's why i started my blog and my uh youtube channel i wanted to be the guide and the role model that i never had and focus on how a sustainable fashion mindset not only uh benefits the world and you know like the people within the fashion supply chain but also yourself too like it genuinely like gives you a healthier approach to um consumption and personal style and yeah i just wanted to share that benefit with other people oh that is amazing uh i'm definitely gonna link your blog so if that resonates with anybody i mean it resonates with me i absolutely love it yeah. and my question is do you you didn't mention making your own clothes. Is that something that you want to do in the future? Or are you just here to support design, like current designers? And uh, I don't know what they, what, what would you call it? Just the sustainable brands that you've mentioned? Yeah. So I, um, I mean, I've always found that whenever I try to use a sewing machine, like something always goes wrong and I can never figure out how to get it to go right for me. So <laughs> I'm probably not going to be making my own clothes anytime soon. However, I do like to um, hand, I will hand stitch though. So I've hand stitched um, a mask that I wore to last year's Harajuku Fashion Walk because I didn't have a mask that would match my outfit. Um, and oh. I also have two DIY vests that I've hand stitched dozens of patches onto. So that was always like a really long process, but also like a really relaxing one. And then usually um, if I have an item that like gets a little tear in it or something, then I'll hand stitch that too. And then if I have something that maybe I just want like to change a bit, then um, I did have two items recently that I got uh, tailored actually I had a pair of pants that I wanted to fit differently on me um, like they were just a bit like too wide of a cut and I wanted a bit more of like a mum jeans cut um, yeah so I got those tailored recently and I also had a um, jumpsuit that while it was really cool and I really liked it I felt like I had worn it in all the ways that I could so I actually got it tailored into a uh, two-piece set and then I do, oh. also, yeah, I do also have some one-of-a-kind items as well, including some that are custom-made. So that designer I mentioned before who makes stuff out of vintage kimono fabric, I remember I saved up for like three or four months, like when I was in uni, in order to be able to afford to uh, commission a two-piece set from her, which I wore for my, for my graduation. And I still wear it a lot and I can mix and match it because, you know, it's a two-piece set. And then yeah. I also, like, this is another one of my favorite things where I'm like, okay, okay, like, fast fashion could never, which was, <laughs> I remember, um, you know, this designer that I was friends with, she had acquired a bunch of bed sheets specifically for custom orders and one of the bed sheets she had happened to be like the exact same as a bed sheet I wore in my childhood that I still had in my closet. So I actually commissioned her to turn that bed sheet into a dress and 
I commissioned her to turn that bed sheet into a dress and then I ended up taking a photo of me wearing that dress while like also holding up the sheet I had so it's like one of those it's just one of those um cool things of like how there there can be like such a personal touch and aspect to these items that are like custom made or like one of a kind and especially when you're making stuff out of like reclaimed materials that is amazing about the bed sheet you're right you're right first fashion could never with that (laughs) okay so what does your future in youtube hold and how long do you see yourself creating for so it's kind of up in the air at the moment since um it'll depend on when or if i manage to get a job while dealing with some chronic pain that we'll get into later and how much of a demand said job would be on my time and energy but like until i get to that point i am also working on uh, getting into the flow of weekly updates this year and then I'm hoping that by the end of the year my channel will um, be monetized and I'll be in a groove of like posting consistently and I'll also have like a Patreon established. It might not be a living wage by the end of this year but you know at least I'll be getting some kind of income from it and then you know hopefully I'll be able to continue the channel for like maybe five or like even 10 years uh depending on like how long people are interested in it how long i feel like i'm able to deliver value i do think that like even if i do step away from my channel because another career opportunity like comes up um youtube is one of those things i'll always come back to i just love to create and share my creations with the world i love to connect with uh people and communities online and i think it's just generally good for someone like myself who is looking for work in marketing to practice video making skills filming being on camera and editing are all skills that employers often want their marketing professionals to have at least in some capacity even if say they'll be more focused on like um writing or just managing the social media channels or you know even just like managing the process of (laughs) videos and stuff like that it's good to show people that i at least have a familiarity in it especially since right now like short form content like tiktoks youtube shorts and uh instagram reels are currently reigning supreme yes and so true that even if your job description isn't necessarily involving video at all it is really within every job now i have a friend Mm. who started working with a crabbing company and now she's creating videos for their social media and Mm. yeah i mean every everything involves Mm -hmm. uh creating these days but i totally know what you mean about you will always come back because I totally feel the same way. In fact, if I had more time, I have like seven ideas for channels that I just might never get to. Mm, Yeah, yeah, it's always, it's always like that, isn't it? It's like, oh, I have so many ideas, but I'm only one person. Oh my gosh. I have to execute them all. I know, I know what you mean. Oh my goodness. (laughs) 
it is sometimes yeah sometimes I wish that like I could just dedicate my entire life no sleep no eat no work just edit (laughs) (laughs) so now I want to get into like your fan fiction stuff uh the juicy deeds of the channel that we are here for you have Mm -hmm. a lot of good advice in your videos relating to to writing fan fiction But you also mentioned in one of your videos that the YouTube space is somewhere that doesn't have a lot of information on the topic to begin with. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering where are you getting your information that you're sharing with your audience? So it's kind of a Frankenstein's monster of like sources that taught me a lot of these things. Like, you know, it's taken like a decade of like personal experience and like study and all that. So first, there's the fact that I've been reading and writing fanfiction since I was 14. So like, Mm. you know, 10 or 11 years in the making. I've also gone through a phase in that time of wanting to write and publish original fiction, hence why I would research things like how to get published and why I majored in creative and professional writing in university and then I ended up using that major to like get into copywriting professionally (laughs) instead but uh following on from that I did realize that like during 2020 actually when the pandemic hit like a lot of people actually coped by like returning to like their old fandoms that they were into when they were teenagers and so for me I ended up finding myself like (laughs) wanting to write Legend of Zelda fan fiction again. And oh. I realized, yeah, and I realized that I'm actually much happier writing fan fiction and sharing it for community rather than to uh, profit or like make an income from it. Not that I'm trying to say that like wanting to make money off your art is bad. I mean, I'm trying to monetize a YouTube channel. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was. I get able, what you're saying. Yeah, I was able to notice happily writing fan fiction, then wanting to get published, and like actually going through the tertiary education where I learned how that work, and then realizing that I'm actually happier writing fan fiction. I was able to notice how. Uh, fanfiction really is its own distinct medium. Like, nearly all writing and publishing advice out there assumes that you're writing an original work, usually a novel, for the purpose of publishing and selling. Whereas, like, fanfiction has its own shortcuts, conventions, and, like, cultural expectations surrounding it. A lot of that I learned through personal experience and observation as, you know, like both a writer and a Mm -hmm. reader of the medium. But there's also um, the videos of another YouTuber called Coley Does Things, who does like a lot of meta and comedy content around fan culture. Um, More so as someone who kind of like observes fan culture and is able to, you know, portray those observations really well but I don't know how much she tends to create for fandom herself but she's amazing and I love her and I hope she notices me someday (laughs) um she will yeah I hope so (laughs) I hope so um but there's also some fan fiction advice that gets passed around on tumblr as well as the r slash fan fiction subreddit usually if people have like a specific fan fiction question 
um, they'll post it there and that kind of helps me like figure out okay what are people actually confused about struggling with and want to know and you know that's often where I get a lot of my video topics from but basically in terms of content that really collates fanfic writing knowledge into something you can learn in 20 minutes rather than <laughs> 10 years or examines general creative writing elements through a fanfiction lens like for example how uh, the different kinds of points of view in original fiction they tend to work a bit differently in fanfiction or even like dramatic irony is always going to work differently in fanfiction versus original fiction there is a gap there for um you know that kind of content that i'm working to fill like that gap especially exists on youtube like there's a lot of author tube content but not a whole lot of like fan fiction author tube content so that's what i'm uh there for yeah are you kidding me oh my gosh listening to all of that you are just funneling everything like you're like i'll do all the grunt work like here's what you need to know mm. that is just admirable thank you <laughs> oh my goodness mm. <laughs> i love it okay so you mentioned in one of your videos that you are writing a story that is already hundreds of pages long if i'm not mistaken how does writing fan fiction differ from a regular novel uh, this, yeah. i mean it seems to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um i can only really speak from my perspective really because fan fiction is like so diverse there's usually no like right or wrong way to do it like everyone has their preferences on how it's done but in terms of me with like my current project uh my my current work is called the light invasion and it's a fan fiction of the video game twilight princess so the fic itself is currently um 657 pages total or almost 300,000 words and only like less than half of that has actually been posted online so I have a big backlog but I'm not even wow. half but I'm not even halfway done actually writing it I'd say the biggest difference wow. yeah <laughs> so I'd say the biggest difference between writing that thick and an original novel is that there is no limit on how long or short it has to be well, more like how long it has to be, because like if it's shorter, we do have words for that in the publishing industry, like no novelette and novella and all that, but we don't mm -hmm. need to get into that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but basically in original fiction, unless you're a really successful author, novels cannot exceed 100,000 words most of the time. They need oh. to have the tightest possible pacing and world building and follow specific plot beats with an epic length like my story the light invasion i can take my time fleshing out the plot and the world because i i don't need to condense it because no one's imposing that limitation on me it allows for a more complex uh conflict more slow burn development of the relationships and more world building i think there's often this belief that no book should have to be longer than your standard novel and that those that are tend to be rambling and unfocused or could just be divided into a series 
If you're writing an epic length like I am, that can absolutely be the case, but just like there are plot lines for video stories that can't be contained to a movie but work great for TV shows, there are some written plot lines that just can't be contained to the standard length of a novel, and there's no good way to divide them into a series of standard length novels. I take my time world building the Twilight Realm because we only get to see a tiny piece of it in the game. I take my time with the relationship development and external conflict because the obstacles from the source material that prevent my one true pairing from getting together are seriously that difficult to overcome. And I may <laughs> have also made those obstacles more intense. <laughs> it's what I want to write and it's also what my readers want to read. But that's only one way fanfiction can differ from writing a novel or, like, any original fiction. Like, when I think about the complete opposite spectrum, um, in the world of fanfiction, you can actually write, like, 100-word stories that would only make sense if you have, like, seven seasons worth of context leading up to it. I'm really glad that you kind of compared it to uh, a movie versus like seasons of a show mm. because that as you explained it that's kind of where my head was at and I'm like okay there it is like mm. <laughs> but yes that it, that explains everything so well and also this story sounds so intriguing <laughs> <laughs> I've never read a word but I am invested <laughs> I'm like oh my gosh wait <laughs> my curiosity is creeping in <laughs> it's like possible to read fandom blind which means you don't necessarily need to be familiar with the source material in order to enjoy it like there may be some certain ways some certain things that might fly over you know a person's head if they've never played twilight princess or don't at least have like a passing yeah. familiarity with it but you know i generally describe people and settings which is helpful to do anyway because it's like a uh, 16 17 year old game or so so um, it's very possible that a lot of people who are reading my story may have like forgotten some of the finer details so that can actually help them out but there are a lot of situations in which um, actually stopping to describe what say a character looks like or what a setting looks like can actually like make the fan fiction worse because at that point you're just like telling the reader stuff they already know <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean it sounds like you're thorough enough where like you wouldn't have to bore the reader if by mm. telling them something they already know it sounds like you've got it a method yeah <laughs> yeah definitely and i think also it's the fact that because like the medium of the source material is a video game it's good there are a lot of things about said video game that are, you know, not the most realistic. Like, because it was made for, you know, gameplay first. So uh, yeah. part of, like, adapting, you know, aspects of the source material um, into a fan fiction does mean kind of, like, describing, okay, well, you know what it's like in the video game, but here's what it's like in the context of this story. So, yeah, like, for example, um, the fact that in Twilight Princess, it isn't really open world. Um, like, there are kind of, okay. like, all of these enclosed areas that um, 
to prevent you from like going anywhere you're not supposed to go um, until the story lets you go there. Whereas okay. um, when writing it in fan fiction form, it's good to describe it so you don't just have like a lot of like enclosed fenced off areas where you've always got to go through like <laughs> big openings. <laughs> like, no, in a forest, the portal is open. <laughs> yeah, in a forest, you usually don't have like trees growing so tightly together that, like, you know, there's only a single gap between two trees that you can go through at a time. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> like, um, like you're familiar with Zelda, like in a link mm -hmm. to the past when you uh, go into the alternate universe, like that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of um, alternate universes. I haven't actually played much of Link A Link to the Past yet. I, I will oh. eventually. I've I've played and beaten all of the 3D Zelda games um, and some of the 2D ones, but yeah. So <laughs> that that's something I've actually been doing lately. I've been having to like research the lore of Zelda games I haven't played so that I can actually reference oh. it in my story. <laughs> so honestly, to the people who write the fan wikis, I love you all so much. Oh, so true. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They've. I know that they've gotten us all through something. <laughs> <laughs> Some dark times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> too funny. <Yeah>, great. <laughs> What's up, future sponsors? If you'd like to hear your business advertised here on Storytime Behind the Channel, inquire at middlechildlives at gmail.com. Right, so you mentioned That's before M -I -D -D -L -E -C -H -I -L -D that when you're writing, writing at gmail .com. specific audience I cannot wait to hear from you. Has now back to our interview. I'm not going to describe the setting to them all the time, um, but... Do you ever find yourself trying to appeal to a wider audience by writing for them or do you more write for yourself and your people come straight to you? Yeah. So there are definitely like plenty of fanfic writers out there who write with more shamelessness and self-indulgence than I do. So you can tell that they're writing 100% for themselves. For me, I do care about making sure my story is um, you know, clear to understand, has good pacing and tension throughout, and is well edited. I will, I do cut stuff out, not because I don't like it, but because I know it doesn't really add to the story or like kind of like slows it down a bit. And sometimes mm -hmm. I'll add something because I know at least one of my readers will love it. However, if I really, really, really cared about appealing to a wider audience, I wouldn't be writing fanfiction of a 16-year-old video game or writing something <laughs> this long. Hell, maybe I wouldn't even necessarily write this specific ship because, like, my no TP in the Legend of Zelda fandom happens to be, like, the most popular ship. <laughs> ship <laughs> like, a relationship, like, usually um, romantic. I always want to make sure I actually define my, my fandom terms when I can. Thank but, you. Yeah. I'd probably be writing for much bigger fandoms, ships, and tropes like Adrian and Marinette from the Miraculous Ladybug cartoon show. Like, you know, 
they're fake dating in a alternate universe where they run a coffee shop or something. Like, fake dating and coffee shop AUs are both very, very popular ships. So while I do love Adrianette with all my heart, they don't drive me to write fanfiction as much because there's already so much fan content and fanfiction about them. And they're going to get together in the source material. Like, that much is clear. Maybe they already have, because lately the episodes have been getting aired out of order and I've just been trying to avoid them and the spoilers. Oh um, my goodness. With Midna and Link in Twilight Princess, they get ship teased a bit in the game. Like, you know, it's kind of ambiguous whether or not they're friends or there's something more. I'm not sure what Nintendo's intent is there but I'm very much, they're in love, they're in love, you cannot convince me otherwise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> but basically, at the very end of that game, they part ways for good. Like, it's strongly implied that it's impossible for them to see each other again. So that's why I'm compelled to write these stories that resolve the complex issues that force them to part ways in the first place. I love your passion about this and yes, you are just shedding like a beautiful bright light Aww. on the fandom world and fanfic. It's amazing. I love it. Thank this you. is why I was so excited to have you as a guest. Aww, thank you. <laughs> Unfortunately, commonly fanfic gets kind of a bad reputation. So how do you deal with those stereotypes and can you shed some light on the subject and perhaps combat some of those more hurtful stigmas? Yeah, so <laughs> I didn't want answering this question to take too long because there are a lot of stigmas around fan fiction, like how it's all poorly written or just bad smut. And while those are important to unpack, the main one I'll target is that fan fiction is uncreative because that's perhaps the misbelief that has affected fan fiction's history the most. I won't get into the hmm. nitty gritty of like Anne Rice and her army of lawyers, <laughs> but um, in regards to the all fan fiction being uncreative stigma, it generally tends to come from the idea that real writers always construct their own worlds, plots, or characters. Somehow that standard is almost never applied to stories that are derivative of works in the public domain, such as fairy tale retellings or adaptations of Shakespeare and Sherlock Holmes. You also get a pass if you happen to own um, the copyright of a work you never created, like movie adaptations for books or the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hmm, it's almost like the difference here is whether or not someone other than the fic writer owns the copyright. Heaven forbid that people create something they can't profit from. Anyone who's been in fandom for a while, though, knows that there are tropes or ideas that get reused and reinvented all the time. And I definitely have conventions and cliches that I hold dear as well. At the same time, I think complaining about the prevalence of, say, the italicized O in shitfic, which is basically the moment when the POV character realizes that they're in love with someone, would be like complaining about people going on dates in romance novels or faster than light travel existing in science fiction. Yeah, some fan fiction can get quite samey and derivative. 
But as someone who loves to read multiple retellings of the same source material, I love seeing how people execute the same concept in different ways. The creativity always shines through in the details, like for example in the case of like Legend of Zelda stories and Twilight Princess, because Link is a blank slate protagonist, you can actually see how different writers characterize him differently, and that that's always like really interesting to see. To address all the negative uh, stigmas of fanfiction at once though, if you have like any negative assumptions about what fanfiction is like, please remember that it is an incredibly diverse medium. Like basically anyone can get involved with it at any time, whether they're like a published author or like 13 years old and like this is their first time writing something, a short story that isn't like for a school project or something. So um, with that means that there is like a lot of good but there's naturally going to be a lot of bad as well and the nature of fanfiction is that there is a greater focus on the personal enjoyment of the writer and like a select niche of um fans over like broad appeal or even professional quality because this is ultimately a hobby and like trying to hold people who are like doing this as a hobby to professional standards is kind of unproductive. <laughs> it, it's okay to like just let people be bad, but you can't just assume that because there's a lot of bad stuff out there that there isn't like a lot of like good high quality stuff. And I think another important part is that, you know, we need to see and embrace fan fiction for what it is because it is like an entirely like distinct medium. Instead of, you know, trying to make fan fiction uh, get recognized as equal to or somehow like better than original fiction. Two different mediums, they're meant to achieve two different things. A fan fiction is able to do like a lot of um, things due to the fact that they have the pre-existing context of canon. Original fiction is also able to do plenty of cool things because they don't have that pre-existing context. It's like fan fiction is like, I guess, standing on the shoulders of giants and being able to see farther than the giant, but um, original fiction, you know, is like getting to be the giant in a way. And they're both like useful and valuable in their own ways. And yeah, I think that's how we should see it and view it. Wow, bam, you absolutely <laughs> nailed that answer for real. Like you addressed everything very, you're like, well, <laughs> this, get rid of that, this, get rid of that, like boom, 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 boom. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, <laughs> snaps. <laughs> mm, thank you. So how has living on the autism spectrum affected your work? So being autistic, I find I always work my hardest whenever the thing I'm working on is related to some hyperfixation you have. So a hyperfixation is basically something you get like really focused on and really obsessed with and you just can't stop thinking about it at all to the point where sometimes it can cause you to like say, um, 
forget to focus on like other <laughs> tasks like I don't know doing your taxes or applying to jobs or something like that or you know there's also special interest which is kind of different from a hyperfixation where it's just something you're really really interested in and all that I do work my hardest whenever it the thing I'm working on is related to some special interest I have so since I'm looking for a position in marketing and one of the motivations of my channel is to hone my video making and like search engine optimization skills it probably like I guess from a neurotypical perspective it probably would be wiser for me to build my channel in a niche that isn't like as stigmatized like um copywriting or something however if the topic of my channel isn't something i have a special interest in then i just won't be able to commit to it and work on it even when it feels like really difficult or like nothing is ever gonna come out of it and that's actually like a big reason why i changed niches as well like i still care about like sustainable and alternative fashion but i just i don't want to like have to compete with it as much especially since like a lot of the stuff i'd have to keep up with like on social media websites that i i'm trying to like get away from a little bit more like facebook and Instagram is usually where that kind of stuff lives for me but like by the time I ended up getting like interested in um, the fashion stuff again I was like getting a lot of like happiness and personal fulfillment from um, fan fiction and was like realizing I have a lot of knowledge here that you know this is a yeah. content that I can fill that hardly anyone else is filling and I, it also brings me that confidence that because I was able to fill like that content gap of like sustainable fashion, specifically within the alternative fashion niche, I already know my way. I know how, I know that if I could like make it in a previous content gap and like get recognized by like some of the biggest influences in the niche and like build a Facebook group with like over 2300 members and all that then making it in like this author two but for fan fiction content gap i'd be able to do that too so um sometimes i guess when there's like a decision that's made where to maybe focus on this thing instead of that thing even though focusing on that thing from like an objective standpoint does seem like it would be the better choice i kind of do just have to like follow what my autism brain is interested in otherwise i'm never gonna get anything done and i'm just gonna end up giving up and not being fulfilled or happy oh my goodness does it set you apart <laughs> you're like you mentioned you're filling that gap and like mm. i mean you're so good at it <laughs> yeah i have been thinking like if there are ways I'd be able to marry it a little bit. Like I was thinking, oh, what if I did like a little Ooh. look where I just dressed like fan fiction tropes. Like for example, with, um, there's this one called Hanahaki, which um, is, I mean, I've never read it, but like I've definitely heard about it and like seen some fan art of it where like the whole idea is that when you are in love with someone but they don't feel the same way as you do you end up getting like this condition where like flowers grow in your lungs and you end up like coughing up flowers <laughs> so yeah oh, yeah it's very it's very angsty beautifully de 
pressing like oh yeah yeah it... it's very angsty and it's like very much like this is a fanfic concept it's very much like a fan fiction specific oh. trope but if i was to like say create an outfit around that i could like wear a mask with like flower patterns on it wow oh my yeah. gosh <laughs> i swear oh my gosh you're teaching me so many things and everybody <laughs> listening well, not everybody, but I'm sure multiple people listening right now are like, these are all so new concepts. I love it. Mm -hmm. It's like a whole new world that you're bringing us into today. Mm. <laughs> so you mentioned before that you have been dealing with chronic migraines and mm -hmm. how does that affect you creating digitally? Yeah. So it's still a learning process for me to deal with because, you know, I've only been dealing with it for like a year. Um, and that's part of the reason why I've been trying to pursue um, YouTube because that's essentially, um, if I am able to make that into a career, that's basically something that I'd be able to work around my migraines. Mm -hmm. So I think it does again come around to the fact that I need to be passionate about what I do like I used to think that was like kind of a nice to have thing but when I'm living with like chronic migraines you know it can be really difficult to just push through it and like make myself do <laughs> things that yeah. just don't like bring me bring me joy because I don't have as much energy to expend and that little energy i do have i don't just want to only like end up expending it on things that i don't like feel as fulfilled in so um yeah mm -hmm. so that's like one thing is again i need to be passionate about what i do because it needs to be something that i'm like willing to push through the pain to do sometimes Another thing is that I do try to get the hardest work, like filming and editing, done earlier in the day because that's when my pain is less intense. Because of my copywriting background, writing scripts is like the next hardest thing. And then on bad days or like, you know, later on in the day, I can focus on stuff like planning videos, browsing resources and, you know, just keeping like my knowledge fresh, um, responding to comments, or like smaller tasks like throwing together social media captions or even some of the most enjoyable things. Like I actually, I actually really like using Canva. I'm, I, I, I have a little bit of a Canva addiction. Oh, <laughs> and, I know, love Canva. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so creating um, thumbnails is good. Although lately I've actually been creating them in the mornings during, on like Thursdays because I have a friend with her own Discord server who runs like these creative co-work spaces. So I'll like create my thumbnails oh. during those when we're all kind of having a little bit of a good time and chatting and all that. And then I'll like send it through in the chat and get some feedback. And you know, she usually gives oh. me some really great feedback. So I think like that, um, the thumbnail thing, I'll probably save for that. But another thing is I basically, well, for one, I have um, glasses now with uh, blue light filters. And oh, good. You know, I do make sure to have the blue light like reduced during 
certain times of the day. And then I also like try to have like everything on dark mode uh, if possible, um, which kind of has some of its own challenges because so Google has like this experimental feature called forced dark mode. So if a website doesn't necessarily have like its own dark mode, it'll just like force a dark mode for you, but it can like make some things look awkward. And one of the issues is like when I'm use whenever I'm using Canva, it ends up making like even the project I'm working on have like inverted colors. So I always have to turn the force dark mode off in order to use Canva. And then I'm editing in Canva while Canva's like giving me this um bright white background. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I don't, I probably should check if Canva actually has a dark mode on its website. Um, Maybe. If they, don't, if they don't, they should get a strongly worded email from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh, yes. And then the dark mode was born. Yeah. If it's not already out there. Yeah, I think um, the it's, it's definitely like interesting because... I know because sometimes I need to get screenshots for my videos as well and I used to like just because like the white mode was I guess more on my brand more my aesthetic I would just screenshot whatever I needed to in light mode and then like turn it back oh, okay. to dark mode but lately I've just been like I don't want to bother with that so it's like screw it you're getting the dark mode screenshots yep. for my videos even though they don't like look particularly on brand with like my bright aesthetic <laughs> it's on brand for my fan fiction's aesthetic at least because like even though I'm very bright and colorful like basically all like the branding around my fan fiction is very like black white monochrome all of like you know these oh. these like quotes that are like about abusive relationships or something like kind of haunting or like foreshadowing or high tension or something like that <laughs> i like i like to think i uh, this is okay we're going on a bit of a tangent but i like to oh, think right. of myself versus my writing is like the two houses meme where i'm like the really <laughs> colorful pink and purple one and then my writing is like the dark broody black one <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. I it's I love it. Creative mm -hmm. outlets are just everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just goes to show that, you know, um how someone dresses doesn't necessarily indicate their fan fiction preferences. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's like <laughs> That's got to be like one of the laws of life. Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, bit too much comedy. I love it. Yeah, just, just like a proverb that gets passed down through the centuries. <laughs> How someone dresses doesn't necessarily dictate their fan fiction preferences. <laughs> yes. Now you know what to put on a canvas bag. Yeah. At the very, at the very least. Yeah. <laughs> An ethically sustainably made canvas bag, or maybe one that was exactly yeah. hand painted, thrifted canvas bag. Yeah, <laughs> with bio biodegradable glitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will say glitter is kind of like one of those weak points for me. I do own a few pairs of glittery shoes. <laughs> um, oh. 
Not but, everybody you know, can I do generally try perfect. to wear them to death, but anything that like involves like say putting glitter on my face, I'm like, yeah nah. And uh, I think I'd rather, like, actually, whenever I do want to, like, put a little bit of extra sparkle on my face, I'll, I use, like, craft gems because I can reuse them. Like, I just stick them all on with some eyelash glue, and then when I'm done wearing them, I just take them off and, like, peel off the glue and I put them away. So, yeah, that's kind mm. of a holdover from a particular Harajuku fashion style called decora which involves like wearing a ton of hair clips and bracelets and accessories just like pushing the number of accessories you wear to like the absolute limit and then another <sighs> one of the parts of that style is like wearing um cutesy band-aids and stickers and everything and you know even though it looks like really cool and colorful and um happy and all like using stickers isn't really the most um sustainable thing to do so that's why I like to use um, craft gems instead. Mm. Um, I actually have never, you're like really digging so deep. I have never thought about like the sustainability of like stickers and stuff <laughs> like that. But mm. my sister actually uses the craft gems on her face too. She does the same mm. thing as you. Oh, that's really cool. Gotta get into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm curious, do you have a favorite video of yours from your fanfic days hmm. aka well, current <laughs> like the video i'm most proud of um is actually like one of my less popular ones but i just made it because it's something that is really important to me and that i think like you know more people needed to be aware of which was called can blind people enjoy your fan fiction and it was all about how to make your stories screen reader friendly and like, um, you know, talking a little bit about podfic and I didn't like teach people the how and of doing podfic in that video, but I did tell them the why. And it was very much, it was one of those things where I did reach out to Reddit to kind of hear from people who were blind or used screen readers. I had one person who very kindly volunteered to actually look at my own work to make sure that my own stories were actually like accessible to people who um, were vision impaired and all that. And you know, they were very impressed. Yeah, so it's something I knew a lot of people might not necessarily be searching for or like outwardly interested in, but it was one of those things where I just wanted the resource to be out there and I just wanted to um, raise awareness about this thing because I just think, you know, it it's so important that we consider that there are like people who uh, come in like all kinds of like abilities and disabilities who enjoy this fan fiction medium and like the very least we can do is try to make our stories screen reader friendly and then if we do want to go that extra mile we can create podfic and I remember I used an argument toward for creating podfic in that video that I've always found has like really helped put things into perspective for people and like make them think you know what maybe I will do this so one of the most common hesitations people have about creating podfic is that you know they often feel insecure about 
their voice and like how it sounds like maybe they have a little bit of a lisp or an accent that they've been like given some absolutely undeserved crap for um or you know they just generally tend to not like how they happen to sound on recording and i remember i said in that video while i get that that is a valid insecurity to have I'm gonna have to ask that you put it aside because while you're worrying about what your voice sounds like here's what your competition sounds like and then I just played like a clip of a screen reader like reading a little bit of my story out and it was like you know kind of awkward like it was a very it didn't mispronounce anything but it was like yeah. a very emotionally charged moment and it just sucked literally all the emotion out of it so basically i'm i was kind of giving that thing like yeah having insecurities is valid and understandable but from my perspective i don't care if my pod fic is good i just care if it exists because my insecurities will never ever be more important to me than providing an accessible experience yeah wow <laughs> and then i did go that was into... such a good way to put it too <laughs> yeah yeah uh. and then um following on from that i did go into how there may actually be some genuine barriers people might have to creating podfic like for example if they're non-verbal if maybe they're still learning how to actually like speak in the language they write in or have some kind of speech impediment or maybe they just don't have like the time or energy or resources because like podficking does take a lot of extra time and effort <laughs> so if people don't like do it like it's not a moral failing but it's like if you are wanting to do it but your only hesitation is like feeling insecure about your own voice i think like i think it's quite lucky if that's like your only hesitation because um like, I think then the only way, like, the way to fix it really is to just come to realize that, yeah, you know what, maybe I do feel this insecurity, but ultimately, like, I don't want to center my insecurity and my feelings in a conversation and issue that should be centering people who mm -hmm. are blind or live with some kind of vision impairment. Yeah, because it's either your like slight lisp or whatever other example that you gave as something that um i don't know if this is a hypothetical person but this person said that they were insecure about it's either that or it's the screen reader just emotionless stone cold I've, yeah <laughs> I've star wars fan fiction through a screen reader and it just keeps saying obi-wan 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 <laughs> Oh, that would just hurt to yeah. listen to. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> All right. So while we're here, do you have anything else to promote while you have the opportunity? And I will link yeah. anything you mentioned in the description. Yeah. So obviously there's my YouTube channel at Cora Maria, like capital C, capital M, um, there's my, uh, Tumblr at the Cora Maria, and that's a place where, um, if people have, like, any specific questions, that's where they can most easily reach out to me to get them answered, or if, you know, they just feel like sending some nice words, which I also appreciate. 
Um, I also have an Instagram if you want like my uh, cute outfit pics or uh, my reels or something like that. Like, I mean, personally, I think my Tumblr is kind of like my definitive platform at the moment because anything oh, that goes okay. on my Instagram, I usually post on my Tumblr, but my Instagram is also like my most, um, it's actually the platform where I seem to have like the most reach and I definitely have like the most followers and everything. So I still like to put it out there. Also my archive of our own profile uh, I publish under the name Scarlet Curls. Like, I kind of want, like, you know, my teaching people how to write fan fiction platform and then, like, my actual, like, fluffing mm -hmm. around in, like, fandom and fan fiction platform to be um, separate. But I do generally like to link it, not because I'm trying to get more people to, like, read my stories or anything, but because I think it's just good um to have that available in case people are curious to see whether or not i yeah. actually know my stuff and then um i also happen to have or if they a... want to just enjoy yeah if they want to if they want to enjoy it but yeah the main reason why i um post it again is just so like if people are curious to see whether or not i'm actually like as good at writing fan fiction as i claim to be <laughs> Um, you True, you've got to have yeah, credibility yeah. out there. So it's more so there for the sake of like transparency and all that. I also have a Ko-Fi in case uh, people just want to help a unemployed, uh, disabled person just get by. Like I'm not in like any like financial hot waters. I actually have um, a lot of savings still and I do get some government payments um but you know I'm obviously recognizing that my current financial situation while it could be much 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 worse it's like not sustainable so that is mm -hmm. something there if people really enjoy my content and just want to give me a little bit of financial support and you know that felt like the most comfortable way I could actually ask for money from people because I don't want to like go into Patreon or anything like that until I actually am posting consistently. So yeah. 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 I, yes, I know what you mean. I mean, you work so hard. So if anybody is feeling like, wow, I am so thankful. Mm -hmm. Hit that Ko-Fi. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, Sorry, for legal reasons, I should oh. say, like, only donate to the Ko-Fi if you want to support, like, my fan my YouTube channel and, like, my, my Tumblr side blog and Instagram and all that. Don't do it to support, like, my actual fan fiction because that is against Archive of Our Own's terms of service. Like, yes. please... Like, no matter how much you love my, my, my stories and want to pay me for them, like, please don't. Just only do it please if you're doing it for the sake of, like, the YouTube stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for clarifying. No worries. Because we don't need any trouble. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, lastly, is there any advice that you want to leave the audience with today? Uh, yeah. So, um, specifically about YouTube, if you want to start a YouTube channel, uh, prioritize progress over perfection. Often you need to forgive the flaws in your content because if you don't, you're never going to get anything out there. The way I, I think about it, like the same way I think about my podfic. So my mission to provide this knowledge to people is 
far more important to me than any insecurities or hesitations I might have about like my lighting, facial features, because I've had people give me shit for having teeth that look like actual teeth, um, or some like awkward wording I might have in my scripts, or like maybe an awkward cut here or there that I couldn't really make any better. So yeah, basically instead of practice makes perfect, I like to say practice makes progress. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I have my own little version. I say practice makes practice. I, I don't oh, know if that makes sense, cool. but it works for me. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. That is good advice, though. Thank you so mm. much for that. And I hope that the audience has loved this experience. I have I learned so, so much from you. Again, I'm so happy that you came on the show because like Genuinely, I didn't even know I was going to learn so much from you today. <laughs> well, I'm always happy to help, so thank you. <laughs> uh, a teacher by nature. Yes, uh, and I again, for everybody listening, everything we mentioned will be linked and so that you can check out Cora yourself and not just on this episode. So, mm. Cora, thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity again. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye. I was thinking middle school. There, there were some big buckets with the lift up lid, and that was like your like locker or whatever. Yep. All right. That was in high Cora. school. We used a lot of tables. <laughs> Oh, there goes the unedited. That was never going to happen. There, anyway. It was going to be a one take wonder. I didn't even agree to that because I know it's impossible. <laughs> so that was Cora, and now I'm joined by my lovely co host, Logan Riley. What's up, Logan? What's going on? Not much, just podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? I wasn't asking you, I was asking everybody else. Oh. Glad to be here. Oh. So I, I thought you were answering me saying so what's up. Literally everybody but you. <laughs> I'm excited to get to the breakdown, the part of the show where Brooke explains what fan fiction is to me. No, I'm not going to do that. But we can talk but about did, other things. I did learn quite a bit from listening to Cora. They were very informative. Okay. Well, since we're here, Logan, I guess... We'll try to redeem your integrity a little bit and talk about the smoked salmon you made. Yes. <laughs> it was really, really good. I'll just say it. Super fire. Some of the best smoked salmon I've ever had in my life. Do you want to uh, share a little bit of the mastermind behind the smoked salmon? Well, you know, as much as I'd like to ride the high horse on this one, I really can't even take that much credit for it because, first of all, the key to good smoked salmon is wild-caught salmon. Farm-raised salmon, not even worth your time. Like, you, mm. I'd rather buy frozen fish sticks than farm-raised salmon, honestly. Ew. Yeah. I'm saying. No, no Farm-raised salmon fish is not disgusting. good. Plus, here's – now I'm going to ride the high horse – Pen-raised salmon is extremely dangerous to wild populations because they get out and then they intermingle in the genetic stock and they're problematic. If you're going to eat your salmon, eat it less often, spend the money, get the wild caught, or make friends who catch salmon like we did, I guess. <laughs> we got lucky. 
And the other thing I can't take credit for is the fact that it was, I made it on the pellet smoker. Like, it, it almost feels like it's cheating. It's not cheating. It's literally a method of cooking. That's like saying the oven is cheating because you leave it and go. I know, You still but... have to prepare the food and cook it properly. It's yeah, not cheating. I guess so. It is. I mean, it really it's... does come down to the preparation. Yeah. Anyways, like whether or not you're come smoking on, it. Come on, we're hyping on a... you up right now. I, I know. Secrets. I know. And look at me just, <clears throat> man, I guess I just can't take it. Whether it's a dig or a compliment, I'm just against it. Mm, <laughs> not a chef. Anyway, let's talk well, more about Cora. It was delicious. It's, yeah, okay, let's talk about Cora. <laughs> Unless you want to get into the recipe or anything. Not really. I just felt it had to move along by then. Yeah, it's time to move. Okay. Cora was extremely informative, and man, could they really string a thought together. Cora could explain herself very clearly at length. It was impressive how she could make cohesive thought flow for that long because I can't get more than like maybe one or two sentences out without it like going off the rails. I think she has more pages written in her current project than I've probably ever written in any school project for fun, for anything all wrapped up together combined. 300,000 words is astronomical, especially after they mentioned that 100,000 words was like the quote-unquote cap for a novel if you're going through a certain publishing company or if you don't have enough credibility and that's triple like okay right like halfway done stop like remember the biggest books that we read as kids like the third aragon book or uh which harry potter book was the longest the order of the phoenix or the half-blood prince those books were like right up there at a thousand pages i bet they were a hundred thousand words but i bet they were no more than a hundred thousand words let's do a quick google search how many words are in the bible the king james authorized bible has seven hundred and eighty three thousand one hundred and thirty seven words which is wild i mean you're talking about dedicating like a hundred thousand word novel would probably take me at least a month to get through if I was really reading hard. So we were listening to this episode together and Logan brought it to my attention that he did not know what Harajuku or Kawaii was when it comes to fashion. So I'm going to show him some pictures and he can describe it to you guys. And then I'll talk a little bit about what the difference is. Let's see if you can even spot the difference from your untrained eye. Okay. I'm imagining like the character's in Pokemon. So what do you see uh, here? Okay, so it's lots of color, wigs, long socks, big shoes, bright colors, like very busy. Yeah, this what I'm showing you is the kawaii style. This is all the same style, these this multiple mm -hmm. pictures. It definitely sticks to a color scheme, even though it's very, there are different patterns, there are different, I mean, there's panda bears on shoes. I'm looking at lots of fur, like fake fur and puff balls and and color big texture everywhere. right lots of color and big texture definitely and now let me show you harajuku lots of fuzzy and tell me if you can spot the difference oh harajuku is way more punk yeah and i would i think that kawaii is more softer very like cloud-like yeah this looks this is punk there's still a lot of color but the colors are darker a little more bold little more severe look to it yeah i definitely see 
kawaii is more like puffy and like you said clouds and definitely harajuku gives a more of a punk vibe depending on the person styling it it i feel like it's a little bit more individualistic but i feel like they're both on the same plane for sure both of those styles are a lot they make me feel like a total npc <laughs> yeah. In my navy blue hoodie and khaki shorts that I'm wearing today. All right, our next the next thing that I wanted to talk about was Podfic. Yeah. Not everybody knows what it is. So, the definition is fan fiction read aloud and made into audio files available for streaming or download. So, props to Cora for making that accessible to people who have vision impairments and uh, so that they can enjoy the story all right so we were logan and i were both very curious who is anne rice and her army of lawyers yeah i took the liberty of looking this up first of all i want to talk about annerice.com where she wrote a biography section about herself honestly i read it not too juicy she's very straight to the point where she's from what she's written that's it there's nothing about maybe her interests like pastimes obviously writing vampires she wrote a series called the vampire chronicles and a lot of fanfic fans and writers have a little beef with Anne. why you ask i found on augustmedium.com this article so i have an excerpt about this and it's going to set the scene for you and then tell you what happened i'm super curious picture this the year is 2001 and you're a fan of Anne rice's the vampire chronicles it's summer and you're using your dial-up internet to load a few <laughs> sites and maybe print out a fan fiction or two to read while you try to kill time during the few months between junior year and senior year of high school but there's an issue there are none no fan fiction where you can find it what is still there is locked behind password-protected forums and hidden Angel Fire sites. Sites that you could only get to if you know the right people. Fanfiction.net is wiped clean. What happened? Anne Rice posted a damning message on her site on April 7th, 2001, and it is as follows. I do not allow fanfiction. These characters are copyrighted. It upsets me terribly to even think about fan fiction with my characters. I advise my readers to write your own original stories with your own characters. It is absolutely essential that you respect my wishes. Immediately following this, several lawyers were sent out to purge the internet of any fan fiction of her works. Most notably, an email was sent to fanfiction.net itself on May 18th, 2001. And that's the gist of it. Which is funny because I'm Cora so talked curious. about how fan fiction gets such a bad name because you're not original. But I mean, you know, Anne Rice, whatever. Get out of here. <laughs> I'm so curious. So I am curious on the copywriting of a written character. I say whoever invented vampire stories should copyright her. <laughs> no, I'm just being petty. I don't know how that works. What part of it is copywritten? Is it 
the physical description? Is it the way they act? What part of it is off limits as intellectual property? Toward the end of the episode, Cora was talking about their Ko-Fi and how she can't receive any money for her fan fiction works whatsoever. So perhaps fanfiction.net does a lot of ad space and they were maybe profiting off mm. of the stories posted there and that might have rubbed Anne the wrong way. That's just my speculation on the copyright situation, but eh, who knows? It I all, didn't look it up. To me, it seemed like it was really that these characters are hers and nobody else is allowed to write about those characters because she just couldn't, Anne just couldn't bear the thought of them doing anything that she didn't dream up. Yeah. Which I mean, that's why everybody's mad, I assume. A little bit petty. It is pretty petty, but it's whatever. Like, go off, Anne. I'm sure you lost lots of fans. And actually, oh, yeah. I read all about it earlier. You did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. That's like when Taylor Swift made that couple take down their wedding video because it had her song in it. It's the, on that level, and people were pissed at Taylor. I know she gets a lot of heat. I'm not throwing heat. I'm just sh- giving an example, all right? Swifties, don't come for me. <laughs> for real, if you diss Taylor Swift, like, you're pretty much canceled. So I'm not dissing her. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, this is all I have for Cora. Anything else you want to add? Keep doing your thing, Cora. Keep on doing it. Yeah. You're doing great. You are doing great. You were born for it. And you're crushing it. Keep on writing. Bye. Bye.